Father, dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for answering prayer requests. Lord, we're thankful that even when things look beyond our ability to understand or comprehend, that you're still able to do so and take care of these things. Lord, we just want to praise you for your goodness to us. And, and Lord, that you are working. In your name we pray. Amen. Lapel is not on. There we go. Thank you. Okay. And uh, uh, they want to bring those same talents and experiences and say, well, I'll just pick up where I left off. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to understand something. When you get saved, it starts all over again. This is a new beginning. That's why it's called being born again. It's the new Life and uh, talents and things that you have done, uh, don't confuse talents with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are exercised in the local church. I remember running into someone years ago and they said, well, I took a gift assessment test and my gift is teaching And there's just no teaching positions open in the church, so I'm just going to sit. And I'm going, wow, what, what, uh, what is this? And I'd never heard of a gift assessment test. Uh, I found out you can get them on the internet. Uh, but that is not a gift assessment test. What that is, is a social services test. Uh, 
you know, the how many of you remember the SAT and all that? And they make you fill out all these little uh, uh, character references and personality scores. And then the colleges uh, send you all kinds of, of uh, things and scholarships and that based on your quote-unquote proclivities. And uh, Jesus gets glory out of doing something with what is not designed to work that way. That's why he uses us. Amen? Uh, that's why Paul said, not many wise, not many great are among you. But when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we can see him working. So they get across the Sea of Galilee, and we find out that there was a demon-possessed man there. Verse 1 of chapter 5, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. If we read this in Matthew, Matthew has a much shorter account here, but he said that there were two that met him, and they were so violent that no man could pass that way. And again, we're not seeing a conflict here. What we're seeing is Matthew saw... Uh, two men come to Jesus, as Peter uh, was Mark's basic uh, eyes on. He was the one giving, as far as we know, that Mark uh, uh, got his information from and wrote from. He was dealing with just the really bad guy. Uh, as often as the case is, you got two guys that are doing something. One is, is not near as... Uh, uh, vocal or uh, all of the other things, but this this one guy was he was a mess. And Mark gives us many more details how they tried to bind him with fetters, and he would break the uh, the chains and and show superhuman strength and and um, and all of these things. And finally, the people come back, and there's the crazy man sitting there clothed at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, learning things. Now, uh, people have often asked, why don't we have demon possession like they uh, did in the Bible? And my, my challenge has always been, I, I believe we still have it. What in the world would explain a man going into a hotel room with hundreds and hundreds of rounds of ammunition and shooting all of those people in Las Vegas. And they've done investigation. It's almost a year later, and they, they still have no understanding why he did what he did. Well, I'll tell you why he did what he did. That's how the devil works. These kids at Columbine, they, they still talk about that massacre uh, there in the student body. They were into occult practices, uh, very super violent video games and, and uh, things that were, uh, in fact, they did target the one young lady because she was a Christian. Let me tell you, the devil is still around. Do you think Adolf Hitler got the way he was all by himself? Uh, I think he had some help. And um, 
one of the reasons why we don't go around casting out demons, okay? Don't get involved with that. Uh, I remember one time even a professor, he was very short-lived at the Bible college, but he started getting into all this and claimed to chase demons around his house with the shotgun. Not very bright. You might shoot somebody. Uh, you're not going to hurt a demon with a shotgun, trust me. Uh, different realm, different being, and, and uh, uh, don't, if you want to really do battle, go tell somebody about Jesus. That's, that's battle. Ask God to give you strength to live pure in your own life. There, there's battle. Walk with Jesus each step of the way. And when it was all over, and I, I wish I had an answer for the pigs. I mean, 2,000 pigs drowned in the Sea of Galilee. I mean, just imagine if PETA or EPA or any of those things were on the scene in those days and times. How big of a complaint uh, would they register uh, against the Lord Jesus here? And uh, I will tell you this. There, the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 that there are principalities and powers and there's spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, demons like areas. That's one of the reasons New York City is as dark as it is. I mean, much of this ground has been ceded to the devil. And what are we going to do? We're going to be a testimony for Jesus until he comes back by his grace. Amen. And so, we, we understand that the power that is there is real, but Jesus has the power over the devil, and he sends him back into the area, and what uh, 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 a testimony this man was. When Jesus returns to this area, everybody from all over the area, Decapolis, called ten cities, that's what Deca means, ten, and and uh, this was on the uh, east side of the Jordan River, just below the Sea of Galilee. In this area there, uh, the uh, disciples, uh, when Jesus returned, they brought many, many people to be healed because of the testimony of this man. So Jesus then crosses back over, and he is in the synagogues, and we have the record here just... Uh, Let's uh, come down to Mark chapter 6. It says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. Uh, in verse 2, chapter 6 of the book of Mark. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is this is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and of Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, it's interesting in this short little narrative here, Joseph is not mentioned. Chances are he had passed away by this time. And... Uh, we have 
Jesus being called the carpenter. He was called the carpenter's son. That was Joseph's trade. Now, it was Jesus that was the carpenter. And up until the time that he was baptized by John, he was supporting his mother and his brothers and his sisters. And now the family is is somewhat grown, for sure. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, Catholics have a real problem with this because Jesus having brothers means that Mary had more children, naturally, and sisters. And, of course, they tried to make this. Well, the word brethren is used of cousins as well. Uh, well, it's used of brothers, too. And especially in this passage where it talks about physical brothers and sisters that were living among them. The family was known in the area. And the simple truth was they were offended at him. It's very similar to what happens uh, you have someone raised in, in a very rural, uh, backward part, and they leave uh, the backwoods and go to college, and then they come in, and they have all kinds of ideas and things. And I, I remember the first time my grandmother met my wife. Uh, she was like, okay, bringing in a highfalutin city girl to teach us things in the mountains. My grandmother was, uh, among other things, just plain old mean. And... Uh, but uh, it wasn't long before they were all just sitting there on the couch and talking and uh, because, you know, kindness goes a long ways, doesn't it? But they were offended because they thought that Jesus had an attitude. He was doing something none of them had ever done. He was teaching things uh, like the Pharisees and the scribes, only his teaching was with authority and they, they just could not understand how this simple man had all of these things. And, of course, there's only one answer. Jesus is who he said he was. And that is not only the Son of God, but God the Son. And so, uh, we will find this repeated time and time and time again as Jesus went around, verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. And so Jesus is traveling through Galilee. He, he, the, the notes in, in the um, harmony that we're following here said this was his third trip through Galilee. Jesus made it impossible for anyone who was conversant, who was part of the Jewish community in Galilee, not to be exposed to his person and his message. Uh, if there's anything that we need to learn is we need to uh, be about the Father's business. That's why we have the track passing several times a week. We try to rotate the subway stations so that we can reach this area. And uh, we and still, almost every time we have a visitor, it's like, wow, I didn't know there was a Baptist church here in Astoria. And it's like, well, we've only passed out about a million and a half tracks. Uh, I don't know how many thousands of people have been to our website. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else we can do. The sign is out front. Uh, uh, how many people drive up 35th Street? But... I'll tell you what, you're still not going to reach everybody that way. 
because there's just a lot of people. And so we need to be faithful. And Jesus gives us that example. Then uh, we come down to verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two and by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, no script, that's a wallet, no bread and no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and put and not put on two coats. So Jesus took his disciples and he said, Listen, you're not going to take anything extra, only what you need for today. And I'm sending you out two by two into all the areas. And then we find out in, uh, uh, let me see here. Um, I think it's, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm missing the passage here, but uh, uh, Jesus went behind them and he followed them and he preached, it says, in all of their cities. So now imagine there, not only was Jesus traveling with the disciples, now he had six groups of two disciples going through this same area and Jesus was following them and coming in and preaching and teaching and they were going from uh, city to city, Jesus said, here's where he instructed them. If the city rejected them, they were to shake the dust off of their feet as a testimony uh, uh, against them in the day of judgment. And they were to just continually move and serve the Lord. And so then we get to hear from Herod. Jesus finally made it on to Herod's uh, radar screen. This is the grandson of the man that killed the children of Bethlehem. He was now in charge of the northern part of Galilee there. And uh, he was uh, given that position by the Romans. He was working with them. And he says, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead because of all the miracles that he did. And he, he wanted to see Jesus. Well, he did get to see Jesus. But it wasn't until the day of his crucifixion. And Jesus had no words for Herod. You know who Herod had to talk to? He had John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison. In fact, the story of John the Baptist's death is related at this time. And we're not sure exactly when that happened, but it seems that all of this came down together about this point here and uh, Herod murdered John the Baptist, and, and shortly after, he starts hearing of all these disciples of Jesus walking around and all the miracles that Jesus does. And John's disciples come and tell him about the death of John. And Jesus says, let's depart into a desert area. Come apart. It's gonna, we're going to take a break. How many of you know what happens next? The feeding of the 5,000. How would you like to take a break? You're going to get a rest. And 5,000 people show up for dinner and Jesus said, feed them. I mean, the, the disciples, Jesus was trying to work in their hearts as well. You know, 
you can get weary in well-doing. And so, we have the disciples coming and they're standing there and Jesus teaches uh, all day long, the, the afternoon, and they tell him, uh, they come to Jesus in verse 36 of Mark 6, since we're there. He says, send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He, Jesus, answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they say, shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And you say, two hundred penny worth, that's two dollars. That's not much bread. Well, stop and put it in the biblical context, a penny was a day's wages. 200 days wages, 10 months work. You know, that would translate pretty close to catering for that many people, now wouldn't it? I mean, it wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be by New York standards, that's for sure, but I mean, in, uh, in the Midwest and things where you could get the meals rather cheaply, you could, you could buy pizza for that many people for uh, 10 months wages, I would think, would work. But, uh, They didn't have the money. And so they were trying to figure out what in the world to do. And of course, we know what Jesus did. He took nothing and made something out of it. But I want you to get this. Jesus is going to start late in the afternoon, three or four in the afternoon, and feed this huge group of people in just a few hours before sunset. Then he's going to put the disciples in a boat and send a wind along to keep them only halfway across the boat at three o'clock in the morning, halfway across the lake by three o'clock in the morning. So they've been rowing for six or eight hours now and the wind keeps blowing. They keep going forward a foot and backward two feet and they just are. And then Jesus walks across the lake on the water and it says, and he would have passed them by. Except they see him. And they are terrified. But I want you to come down here to verse 52 of Mark chapter 6. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Here, they had just returned after preaching all throughout Galilee. They had themselves, for the first time, the disciples were now doing the miracles. They were healing the sick people. They were opening the blind eyes. They were making the lame to walk. They were doing the miracles. And then Jesus would come behind them and teach in the places that they had been. And we have the entire area of Galilee. You wonder why there were 5,000 men plus women and children here listening to Jesus' teaching. It's, this was the result of the disciples traveling all through Galilee, bringing everybody together. And then Jesus performs this great miracle of taking a little boy's lunch. And the disciples are gathering up 12 baskets when they're done. Uh, people have offered all kinds of reasons why there were 12 baskets. Uh, I, 
I think it has something to do with the hardness of the disciples' hearts. Jesus, they were thinking they were getting arrested, and he's just going to keep working. He's just going to keep pushing. Because God has to get through to our hearts. And he will do what it takes. If it means keeping you up all night, well, then get ready. Uh, if you're just going to be like these disciples were, and, and you're grumbling and you're complaining about all this work, I thought we were getting a rest. He said, come apart. Uh, and, and we come apart, and there's 5,000 people out here, and then we got to feed them all. And then they get in the boat, and they're rowing. They're not getting anywhere until they're so tired, they're completely exhausted. And then Jesus scares the living daylights out of them. Don't you just love the Lord? I mean, who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? Amen. But he's always got a purpose to it. I mean, we kind of snicker, I do, when I think of this story and how tired they were when they started. Now how tired were they? Because you cannot do God's work with human effort. You've got to be trusting in the Lord. You, you have got to understand that it is not about us. It is about Jesus. And let's turn to Matthew chapters, I mean John chapter 6. And I want to spend just a little bit of time here. We get to John chapter 7. And we are going to begin the uh, last year... Uh, there's actually going to be about six months that John is going to skip here between uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and John chapter 7. But we, we're going to pick up our, our reading here in verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou thither? So, they apparently had spent the night, many of them, on the, on the uh, eastern side of, of Galilee. They had the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus comes back over on the Capernaum side and they find him. Uh, they take shipping. Many of them just walked around and, and they say, we're looking for you. You see, and then Jesus just gives them... Uh, he, he really rebukes them in verse 26. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now here's what Jesus does. He's just finished, literally, tormenting the disciples until the early hours of the morning, trying to get their hearts softened up to the Lord Jesus Christ. No sooner does he get his feet on the shore, we found you! We're looking for you! And Jesus says, you're not seeking me because you want to believe that I'm Christ. You're not seeking me to surrender. You're seeking me because you want me to feed you. 
And their answer was, well, Moses gave the children of Israel manna in the wilderness. I mean, they had to think long and hard on that one now, don't you think? Uh, Why can't we just have manna in the wilderness like the children of Israel did? Then we don't have to work and we don't have to do all of this. And here was the works that God wanted them to do. Verse 28, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work? The works of God. Now, that's a great question. But have you ever noticed in the Bible how oftentimes people ask really great biblical questions or make really incredible doctrinal statements, but they don't believe a word of it? How about the woman in Acts chapter 16 in the city of Philippi? These are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. How could you say any, how could you say it better than she did? But the source was no good, now wasn't it? And so it didn't work. And these men were, well, what can we do to work the works of God? But they didn't want to work the works of God. And Jesus is going to take these guys, uh, if we might just use the vernacular of our day, he's going to take them on a ride. He, he is going to, by the time he's done with them, their minds are going to be so twisted up, they don't know whether they're coming or going. They think Jesus has lost his mind and gone crazy because uh, he's talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood and all of these things. He is going to do this on purpose. Not because Jesus was some cruel, vindictive person. He was trying to soften the hearts of the disciples. That's why he put them through all that. He was trying to get their hearts' attention on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus was trying to do here in John chapter 6, in the the latter part of this chapter here, is he is trying to get these people to understand that they are nowhere near believing the Word of God. They are nowhere near Bible salvation. In fact, we get down to the end and it says, from that time, many just stopped following Jesus. Jesus is ready to enter the best we can understand. Just This is happening just before the third Passover. Jesus would have one more year in his earthly ministry. A very short time. And so, he he answers their question in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now, what had Jesus just done? He had just fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Do you think that would qualify as the works of God? What sign showest thou? I mean, how many people had been healed in Galilee by the work of Jesus Christ? What about the demon-possessed men at Gadara that Jesus had cast the devils out of? All the miracles that Jesus had done in Jerusalem that had been recorded and testified... And yet they ask him to show a sign to prove that he was who he said he was. You see, here's Jesus' answer. Verse 35. um, 
Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. Jesus said, you guys have already made up your mind. This discussion here is just so telling. One of the reasons the Holy Spirit of God included it in the, in the uh, telling of the story of Jesus was so that we could see, really, how much Jesus put up with. I mean, sometimes you ought to just, as you're reading through the Gospels, just think about all of the opposition against Jesus personally. All of the disbelief expressed at him and his person. Read through the Gospels thinking about that. It'll, it'll change your understanding of our uh, Gospel account. And so, then Jesus tells them that he came down from heaven in verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now again, when you see that term Jews, capital J-E-W, it's not talking about all Jewish people. It's talking about the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the people of the synagogue uh, who ran the synagogue. And if any of the priests were in the area and those things. Now, wait a minute. What did Jesus tell the man of the palsy? Thy sins be forgiven thee. Many of the people that were there heard Jesus utter these words. And they said, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said, here, I want to prove you something. Get up and walk. Which one's easier? Sins be forgiven or get up and walk? I can do both because I am who I am. It was in this area that the woman, as Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, had anointed his feet with oil and Jesus uh, with ointment, actually. And Jesus had said, To whom much is forgiven, the same loveth much. But to whom little is forgiven. Now, could you imagine thinking of yourself as such a good person that God had to look for sins to forgive for you? Has anybody got that problem? Uh, I wish I did. How about you? Uh, it's the other way around. We, we've got too many things that we do to ask God to forgive us for, don't we? These people were aware of all of these things. This did not happen over such a long expanse that they couldn't remember, couldn't be cognizant and, and listen. People talk about things like this. This had gone on through all the land. And so... Now, Jesus is going to turn up the heat, we're going to say. And uh, there, verse 42, and they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then? He saith, I came down from heaven. And then they go on, and Jesus takes through the passage of verse 48. I am the bread of life. And uh, we come down to verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus turns it up just another notch. Uh, In verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. You know, years ago I met a man, he was a missionary to the Soviet Union during the time of the Soviets. He was of another nationality, he was not American, and so he had uh, access to the... uh, um, uh, Soviet Union was was allowed to travel to a certain degree. Of course, everything he had to do was rather clandestine. And and I remember him talking about a church where the communists had come in and they had closed the church down and they had actually painted a mural on the wall, had it painted there, of uh, depicted Jesus laying down on the ground dead and the priest dissecting him and eating him and drinking his blood based on this passage here. And I remember that just the anger and the fury in this this missionary man said, How dare they! And then I started thinking, But isn't that what the Orthodox Church actually does teach? That when they say the, the prayer over these things, that it is transformed into the very flesh of Jesus and the wine becomes the very blood that was shed and they're supposed to... I, I, I remember a man, a Greek man here in the story years ago was trying to witness to him and he goes here and he says, Do you eat his flesh and drink his blood? And I'm going, No. Uh, Jesus paid the price for our sins. Couldn't get, He couldn't get it. We've, we've been over this. I hope you don't mind hearing it again. We're just working our way through. But come on down to verse 63. This puts it in perfect context. Exactly what Jesus is talking about. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. I mean, it just is utterly amazing to me how many people talk about spiritualizing the passages of the Bible and they take this passage literally, which Jesus said is spiritual. And then the other passages where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, then they spiritualize that. It is sad. But this is the ground that you're going to cover if you're going to reject Jesus Christ and His teachings. So, we get down here to verse 60. Many, therefore, of His disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, Does this offend you? And what if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Were they going to see Jesus ascend up where he was before? Absolutely. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is telling them, listen, you're going to get offended at this? What are you going to do when I leave you? And you're all alone. 
Well, they weren't all alone, were they? We'll get to that later, as Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And we come here to verse 64, But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said unto, uh, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Does it sound like Peter's heart got a little softer? You have to remember it was just hours before this that they had been rowing in the boat until two or three in the morning and saw Jesus walking on the water. Peter, the only one of the twelve that had ventured out onto the water. And he's speaking here. He said, where else are we going to go? There are no other alternatives. Can we just learn something here from this passage as we're going through? You don't have to understand everything. But you do have to believe on Jesus. You don't have to be able to answer every question that is out there. But you do have to know that Jesus is the answer to every question that is out there. Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. And yet I want you to understand, Jesus had Judas with him that full three and a half years. Every day, knowing that it would be Judas that night that would walk up to him and kiss him, a sign of love and affection and respect, and use that sign to betray him. How many of you could put up with Judas that long? I'll tell you what, I don't, I'm glad that was Jesus and not me. How about you? You see... Jesus had two purposes. One is, he had to bring us face to face with ourselves and put enough pressure on the disciples to soften their hearts toward the truth. We find Peter here making another one of his great statements. You know, he... He, he was always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but he was saying the right thing at the right time sometimes too. Amen? And so, we have Jesus as he is attacked over and over again. And it didn't slow him down. He now had the twelve, six, six groups of two going out through all the land of Galilee. Jesus was following them. He fed the five thousand We're going to come up to the next Passover, and we are now going to begin the next, the last 12 months of Jesus' earthly ministry. And uh, we're also going to find that the uh, um, the gospel accounts are very end heavy. We get through John chapter 12 of 21 chapters 
And from John chapter 12 all the way through to John chapter 21 is the last week of Jesus through his ascension. Over half the book is on the last uh, 47, or uh, yeah, Jesus showed himself 40 days, ascended into heaven. And then you had the seven days before that, ten days before that actually, uh, with the riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and all of that. And so, just that very short little time period there. is almost half of John's book. And so, as we go through the stories, we're going to try to put things pretty much in in order as we can find them chronologically. That doesn't mean that the disciples, even as they tell the stories, didn't uh, had to use a strict chronological order in that we do not have any, we do not believe, we start with, Refusing to believe that there are contradictions, and we find that most of what people would call contradictions and and argue and talk about there simply meld into the storytelling process. And all God's people say, Amen. So let's uh, pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the story of Jesus, and we ask that you would help us, Lord, that you wouldn't have to put so much pressure on us to get our hearts softened to You and Your Word and to be an obedient to You. Lord, help us to surrender ourselves and serve You daily. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just let the piano continue to... I mean, not the piano. We won't have any music on Sunday nights. We don't. But take just a moment to pray, and then we'll get into our prayer time.